2 Kings chapter 22, starting at verse 14. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray right now, God, that you will anoint the word of the Lord here this morning. We thank you, God, for the precious, beautiful worship that we had this morning. It was so powerful, so anointed. We felt your presence here in a very strong and personal and intimate way, Lord, and we thank you for that. And now, Father, we pray that you would bless this part of the service. Bless the reading of your word. Anoint it. Give it life, Lord. Let it, let it Lord God, let us be able to to uh, intake the word of God, Lord God, and, and that it would make sense and that it would be a blessing to us. And if necessary, that it would correct any behavior, Lord God, that is, that is breaking your heart. Help us, Lord God, to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. Okay, let's read this section of scripture. 2 Kings chapter 22, starting at verse 14. The Bible says this. Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Asaiah went to speak to the prophet Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, Shalom son of Tikva, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. She said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent you to me, This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people, according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made. My anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I had spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors, and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place. So they took her answer back to the king. What's interesting is that in this whole prophetic word that this prophet Huldah gives to the king, she doesn't even mention the king's name. She, it's like, dude, you may be a king, but as far as God is concerned, you're still just a man. How many of you understand that? Can you say amen, church? So last week, we highlighted a couple of important lessons from this section of Scripture. First, we mentioned the significance of women in ministry and how women have always played an important role in ministering to God's people. Secondly, we mentioned the importance and the significance of the, of the position of the prophets. It is legit. We have prophets today. We, do, we need prophets today in the church. And the test of a true prophet of God will be that when the prophet declares something in the name of the Lord, that it will come to pass. And the Bible also tells us that if somebody tells you they're a prophet and they declare something in the name of the Lord and it doesn't come to pass, you're to shut them down. You are to just turn away from them. I don't care how anointed they look or how charismatic they are or how powerful they talk or how, uh, or how uh, uh, good they are in their communication skills. If they say something in the name of the Lord and it doesn't come to pass, shut them down. Are you guys listening to what I'm saying? Don't get caught up in their personalities. Don't get caught up with all this popular charismatic stuff. No, no, no. If it's from the Lord, it's going to happen. And if it's not, he's going to expose it. And we need to honor that. Now, in this section of Scripture, we learn that Hulda was a woman prophet, and she gave Josiah an encouraging word 
from the Lord. She said in 2 Kings 22, 19 and 20, which we just read a little while ago, she said, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I, have, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place. So they took her answer back to the king. We see a very important lesson here in this section of scripture that, and it's about the heart and the character of our God. No matter how wicked, remember this, remember this, this is very important. No matter how wicked or evil or rebellious you and I may choose to be, if we repent, if we humble ourselves before our God, if we cry out to God for forgiveness and mercy, He will hear our prayer. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what kind of rebellion or wickedness or, or madness you may be a part of, if you're ready to come back to God, He's ready to receive you back. I don't, I don't know about you, but that gives me encouragement, church. Listen to what Psalm chapter 51 verses 1 through 17 says, it says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Listen, you want to come back to God? His arms are open. He's waiting. It doesn't matter what atrocities, what kind of darkness or chaos or madness you've allowed in your life. If you're ready to come back to God, he's ready to greet you, church, and forgive you. Praise God for that. Now, I want to continue on this theme of the ministry of the prophet, but before I do, I want to go, I want to give you a little quiz here this morning for those of you that are here. First question in this little quiz. Who was the first king of Israel? Who can tell me the first king of Israel? Gilbert? Saul. Very good. Who was the second king of Israel? Um, Lynn? David. Very good. So the first king was Saul. The second king was David. Quiz question number three. Who was the third king of Israel? The third king. Uh, Richard? Solomon. Very, very good. Solomon was the third king. Now, sadly, when Solomon was a king, he started off really well. 
and he was humble and he did what was right. It was everything was cool. But then later on in his life, he started getting comfortable, started getting he started compromising as a result of his compromise, as a result, result of his sin and rebellion. The Bible tells us that God was going to divide the kingdom into two separate kingdoms after his death. And I want to show you a map of the divided kingdom. Okay, we've shown this before, but I want to show you a map of the divided kingdom. Here we have the green section on the top, which is the northern kingdom of Israel. Then we have the orange section or brown in the, in the south, which is called Judah. So the country of Israel was divided into two sections because of Solomon's sin. And in the northern kingdom, the Bible tells us that a man by the name of Jeroboam became the king of the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom. In the southern kingdom, Solomon's son, because he had to follow the line of David, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, became the king of the southern kingdom. Okay? Now, when Jeroboam became the king of the northern kingdom, he did something that was very, very sad. I want us to go to 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings, and 1 Kings chapter 12. And I want to read this section of scripture. Okay, I'm going to start reading at verse 26, and I want to read to you what Jeroboam, the king of the north, did that caused some serious problems for the nation of Israel. Listen to what it says here. It says, Jeroboam thought to himself. Now remember, Jeroboam is the king of the northern part of Israel. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David if these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. They will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel, and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people went even as far as Dan to worship the one there. Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the festival held in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. At, and at Bethel, he also installed priests at the high places he had made. On the fifteenth day of the eighth month, a month of his, a month of his own choosing, he offered sacrifice on the altar he had built at Bethel. So he instituted the festival for the Israelites and went up to the altar to make offerings. So what did he do? King King uh, Jeroboam said, "I don't want." the people in the northern tribe that I control to go down to the temple in Jerusalem, which is in Judah, to worship the Lord, to sacrifice to the God, and, and to serve the Lord. No, no, no. What I'm going to do is I'm going to set up my own temple in northern Israel, and I'm going to have the people worship God there, because if they start going down to Jerusalem, their hearts will be softened. They're going to go back to Rehoboam, and they're going to kill me. And so he set up some false 
altars in the northern kingdom for the people to worship God. And the sad thing is, instead of leading them to worship the true and living God, he put up two golden calves. I don't know what it is with these people that love these golden calves, but he put up these two golden calves in the, in the northern Israel, and he made the people of Israel worship God there. In other words, and it says here in verse 33, it says, on the 15th day of the eighth month, a month of his own choosing, a month of his own choosing. Everything that he was doing, he was doing it out of his own head. He was thinking it out of his own mind. He was creating his own religion, his own thing. But he didn't understand that our God demands true worship and true, true praise. Can you, everybody say amen. You can't, you, you can't say, I'm going to get to God through becoming a Jehovah's Witness. You can't say, I'm going to go to God by becoming a Mormon. You can't say, I'm going to go to God by becoming Buddha. You can't say, I'm going to go to God by becoming Hindu. You can't say, I'm going to go to God by being Christian. No, no, no. There's only one way to God. There's only one way to Jesus, and it's through Jesus Christ. Can you say amen, church? There's only one way to salvation. He was trying to create his own thing. He was trying to make his own way. He was trying to create his own rules, which he did. And unfortunately, it led to idolatry. As a response to that, listen to what God does in 1 Kings chapter 13, the very next chapter, starting at verse 1. It says this in 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 1. But by the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel, as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. So now Jeroboam, the king, is making offerings in that false altar that he made up in northern Israel. It says in verse 2, By the word of the Lord, he cried out against the altar. Altar, altar. This is what the Lord says. Now check this out. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. Church, who is the young man that we've been studying about in the book of 2 Kings? Who is the man that we've been studying about? Josiah. And now, in this verse of Scripture, 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 2. This is 300 years before Josiah is even born. Now, remember, we're talking about the ministry of the prophet. We're talking about the ministry of the prophet and how powerful it is. I mean, it's awesome. When you get a true prophet and they prophesy over you, they speak over you. They give a word of God over you. That's a beautiful experience. That's a beautiful thing when it's legit. When it's false, it could lead people astray. It could cause a lot of problems. You know, this is a true story. I've, I've seen situations where, and this is so sad to say that this goes on in church, but it goes on in church. People will come to the altar, and someone who thinks they're a prophet, who declares they're a prophet, will go to a very young Christian young man or a very young Christian young lady, young in the Lord. They just barely got saved. And you know how when you get saved, you're so excited, you're so pumped up, whatever anybody tells you, you just believe it because you're so, you're so hungry for the Word of God. And, and these young believers will be targeted by a man or a woman who says, who believes that they're anointed, who believes that they're a prophet, and they'll say to this young believer, I just got a word of the Lord for you. You are to leave California, and you're to move to, to the, the state of Arizona, and that you're going to start a church there, and it's going to be a big church, and God's going to... And you know what? The people actually quit their job, sell their house, move to Arizona, believe that God's going to create a big ministry for them, and they go to Arizona, and everything falls apart. That's why we have to be very, very careful. I've even heard somebody say, 
the word of the Lord told me that you're going to be my husband and I, we're going to get married and we're going to have a beautiful ministry together. And, 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 and then the person came to me and said, this is what this person said. What do you think? You just tell them, when God tells me what he's telling you, then I'll listen to you. But until then, I'm not going to listen to you. We have to be very, very careful. I know that it's exciting, church. I know that it's exciting when somebody comes to you and says, oh, I have a word of the Lord for you. You do? Oh, my gosh. I, I feel so special. I, I feel so, so wonderful. What, what is God telling you about me? It's exciting. You get all pumped up. But if it's in the flesh, it becomes dangerous and disastrous. And that's why God says, be careful. Check everything out. Test everything. Okay? You guys with me so far? Okay. So now check this out. Verse 2. By the word of the Lord. He cried out against the altar. He's, this is a prophet. It doesn't even give us the name of the prophet. This prophet goes up to Jeroboam, the king of Israel, at the very beginning when he set up this false altar. This is how good God is. God is so good to us, church. And he confronts Jeroboam with this prophet because he, Jeroboam is doing something very wrong, very dangerous, very sinful. And God confronts him at the very beginning to try to get him right. You guys following me so far? And he says this. By the word of the Lord, he cried out against the altar. Altar, altar. This is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you, he will sacrifice the priests of the high places you, who make offerings here. And human bones will be burned on you. That same day, the man of God gave a sign. This is a sign the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart and the ashes on it will be poured out. When King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against, against the altar at Bethel, he stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Seize him! But the hand he stretched out toward the man shriveled up so that he could not pull it back. Also, the altar was split apart and its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God by the word of the Lord. Then the king said to the man of God, Intercede with the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. So the man of God interceded with the Lord and the king's hand was restored and became as it was before. Now, like I said, what, I, what is amazing about this prophetic word here given by this prophet that we don't even know his name is that 300 years before Josiah is even born. God is already declaring what will take place in the future. God sends a prophet to Jeroboam, who was an evil king of northern Israel, to let Jeroboam know that the altar in which he was offering sacrifices was corrupt. It was compromised. It was sinful. It was unacceptable to God. God tells King Jerusalem that a king by the name of Josiah would be born from the line of the, of the King David, and that Josiah would cleanse Judah of all wickedness, idolatry and evil practices and that Josiah would restore the true altar of God and to prove and to prove that this prophet was from God the prophet declares to the king Jeroboam to let you know king that I'm speaking from God the altar that you are sacrificing on right now will be split in two by the power of God and the ashes of the sacrifices will be poured out 
and reject it and spill out, signifying the rejection of your offering by God. God came to Jeroboam at the very beginning of his ministry, of his kingship, gave him a chance to repent, gave him a chance to get things right. And what is so sad, church, is that even though he, he saw his hand shriveled up like a prune, he saw this in his face. And what is so sad is that King Jeroboam did not repent. He did not change. He continued to rebel. He kept those false gods there. He kept the people there. He kept leading them astray. And it was a disaster. And it's been a disaster ever since. Now, the altar is very important to our God. Did you hear what I just said? How we worship, how we praise, how we sacrifice, even when we come to church, it's very important to God. We have to remember, this is a holy place, and we serve a holy God. And He expects things to be done in a certain way. And when they're not, He loves us enough to get in our face and to correct us about it. And then it's up to us to respond whether or not we're going to listen or not. Then it's up to us. So let's quickly review. Oh, I, to, I, I want to go to Matthew really quick. Matthew, hold on, church. Just to show you that the altar of God is really important to the Lord, even today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Matthew 5, 23. Okay, listen to what it says here. Matthew 5, 23. These are the words of Jesus, by the way, and he says this. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. How many of you understand that the altar is really important to God? Can you say amen? God is saying, look, dude, if you're going to come up here and you're going to cry out to me, that's good. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. I'm going to accept it. But if I reveal to you that there's some things that you need to get straightened out, then you know what? Go get them straightened out. And then come back and everything's going to be cool. But I want you to do what I'm telling you to do. The altar is very, very important and it's very specific. Now, after you've done all that you can do to make peace, after you've done all that you can do to make things right, Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Let me just read this to you really quick, and then we're going to move on. Romans 12, 18 says this. It says <clears throat> in Romans 12, 18, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In other words, if, if the Holy Spirit reveals that there's something going on in your heart that you get, have to get right, and then you go to that brother, and you go to that sister, and you say, hey, you know what? I just want to make sure that things are cool between us. Uh, maybe you were offended. Maybe I offended you. Whatever's going on, I just want us to be cool because you know what? I'm on my, I, I, I'm, I'm on my journey with God. I want to get right back with God again. I want to clean things up. Now, if that person forgives you, and they say it's cool, everything's cool, but even if that person chooses to hold unforgiveness against you, even if that person chooses not to forgive you, you're at peace because you've done all that you can do. You have fulfilled your responsibility before God. You cannot control another person and make them forgive you if they don't want to forgive you. Did you hear what I just said? You just have to move on. You do your part. Let God have his way with the other person's life. In the very next verse of Scripture, it says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Let me handle this. You've done what you need to do. Now let me take over. We need to leave and trust God with our issues. Can you say amen, church? Now, let's move on here. 
about the altar. Let's quickly review where we're at in the life of Josiah. We just learned that he is a fulfillment of a prophecy that had been given 300 years before he was even born. And to validate that it was from God, that prophet said, to prove to you that this is a a message from God, God's going to split this altar right here, right in front of your face, to back it up. Number two, he came, Josiah came from a severely dysfunctional home. Number three, he chose at the age of 16 to reject the false gods of his father and grandmother, grandfather, and instead chose to begin seeking after the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. At the age of 20, sometime between the age of 16 and the age of 20, we discovered that he connected with God. He finds God. He receives the anointing from God. He is empowered by God. He begins to be led of God. Remember that scripture. If we seek him with all of our heart, we will find him. That's God's promise. If you want to begin seeking God right now, today, at this moment, God says, you seek me with all your heart and you will find me. That's what Josiah did. He began to seek the true and living God and guess what? He connected with him. And now he was being led by him. Then at the age of 26, he begins to repair the temple of God and at the same time he finds the word of God that had been buried and hidden underneath rubble and garbage. And we also read last week that Josiah begins to read the word of God publicly for the first time in 75 years to the people of God in Jerusalem from the temple of God. But now it's time to reinstitute worship and praise, and sacrifices, and gifts, and offerings to God. And for that, you need an altar. Did you hear what I just said? To do that, you need an altar. God had prophesied over 300 years before in 1 Kings 13.2, which I just read a little while ago, that Josiah would restore the true altar of God in its proper place. We have to remember that Josiah's dad and grandfather had desecrated and corrupted the temple of God and the altar of God. They corrupted and compromised the sacrifices of God. They corrupted and compromised the worship of God. They corrupted and compromised the praise of God. Let me just remind you of what Josiah's dad and grandfather did did to the temple of God in 2nd Kings chapter 21 verses 4 through 7 let me just this is just a reminder of what of how horrible it was what they did in 2nd Kings 21 4, 4 through 7 he built this is Josiah's dad and grandfather He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. In the two courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his own son in the fire, practiced divination, sought omens, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. He took the carved Asherah pole he had made and put it in the temple, of which the Lord had said to David and to his son Solomon, In this temple and in in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. You see, church, the sad reality is this. The temple was now being repaired, but the altar of God was in ruins. It had been neglected for over 75 years. The people of God no longer had an altar. The people of God had allowed the altar of God to be torn down. The people of God had allowed the altar of God to be corrupted. The people of God had allowed the altar of God to be compromised. The people of God had allowed the altar of God to be silenced. The people of God had allowed the fire of God to be quenched. There was no fire, no offerings, no altar. Everything had been neglected. So Josiah not only had to cleanse or repair the temple, but Josiah also had to repair the altar 
in the temple of God so that he could reinstitute the sacrifices. Josiah had to restore and bring back the sacrifices of God. Josiah had to restore and bring back the worship of God. Josiah had to bring back and restore the service of God. And all of this begins at the altar. So Josiah had to cleanse and repair the altar and the temple of God. Elijah, the prophet, had the same problem. A few months ago, we talked about Elijah. And now he had to repair the broken down altar. Back in the book of 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 18 through 21, it says this about Elijah. He had the same issue. He had to confront the people of Israel because they were worshiping the Asherah and the Baals and all those false religions. It says this. I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Ahab was the king of Israel at this time. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. In the same way that Elijah challenged the people of God, another man of God said the very same thing, and his name was Joshua. Listen to what Joshua said to the people. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, he says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of uh, gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Listen, we've all got to make up our minds and ask ourselves, what are we doing? Who are we going to live for? Who are we going to serve? Are we going to run our own program like Jeroboam did, make up our own rules, do our own thing, think that we can get to heaven in our, in our own way? Or are we going to do what God tells us to do? We all have to make that decision church every single one of us how did elijah do it deal with it in first kings chapter 18 verses 23 and 24 he challenged the people and he said this get two bulls for us let baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut in, it into pieces and put it on the wood but not set fire to it i will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood but not set fire to it then you call on the name of your god and i will call on the name of the lord the god who answers by fire he is god then all the people said what you say is good so after the, the, the prophets of Baal and Asherah had cried out uh, to their false gods all day and they failed to see results, listen to what Elijah did and how he called upon the Lord and what happened when he called upon the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the same God that Josiah was calling on, the same God that Joshua was calling on, the same God that Moses and David and Noah and Deborah and Esther and Ruth was calling on, the same God, hopefully, that you and I are calling on today. Listen to what happens when Elijah calls upon the true and living God. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 30, the Bible says this, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord. Let me repeat that again. He repaired the altar of the Lord. I want to say it one more time. He repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been 
torn down. All the prophets of Baal, all the prophets of Asherah, they were doing their chanting, they were doing their rituals, they were cutting themselves, they were doing all this madness, all this chaos, all day, all day until the evening. And then Elijah goes up there and he says, come on over here and now I'm going to repair the altar of the Lord that you have allowed to be all messed up. He repaired it. Verse 31, Elijah took 12 stones, one from each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. When Elijah prayed, the Bible tells us that the fire of the Lord fell. Church, I think that you would all agree. I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. I think that you would all agree today. We need more than ever before for the fire of the Lord to fall. Can you say amen, church? We need that fire. What we felt a little while ago at the worship, when we were here at the worship, that was fire. That was the presence of God. That was intense. That was intimate. That was fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I wish that the whole world could experience that. The world that is ignorant and naive and doesn't understand the ways of the Lord. We have something very precious, church. We need for the fire to come down on the people of God. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Acts 2, verses 1 through 3. And the, at, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, one and one sat on each of them. Acts 7.30 And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in, in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. Hebrews 12.29 For our God is a consuming fire. Revelation chapter 2 verse 18 And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God whose eyes are like a flame of fire. Revelation 8.5 Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar. But church, before Elijah could see the fire of God come down he had to do something. First Kings chapter 18 verse 30 says that he had to repair the altar of the Lord. The New King James says that the altar had to be had to that was broken down had to be re repaired or restored. Before we can see the fire of God come down, we have to make sure that we have a well-defined altar. 
The altar is important to the Lord. It can't be fake. It can't be phony. It can't be an imposter. No, no, no. It can't be made up or created by you or me. It has to be from the Lord. Josiah is doing the very same thing that Elijah had to do. He began to repair the altar of the Lord. Why? Because the people of God no longer had an altar. They had allowed the altar of God to be torn down. What about you and me here this morning, church? When we have a crisis, when we have a need, when we have a problem, when we desire to connect with God, do we have an altar established in our lives? Or do we go running around like a bunch of blind men looking for answers, looking for answers and pills, looking for answers with alcohol, looking for answers with relationships, looking for answers in money, looking for answers in what the world has to offer when the, when the world cannot give us what we need. We have to go to God to give us what we need. He's the only one. And the only way that you can connect with God is you have to have an altar in your life. No altar, no God. you got to have that altar. That holy place where you meet with God. Where he begins to speak to you and strengthen you and encourage you and even correct you if needed. He strains out your thinking. Like Albert says, a stinking thinking. He gets all that straightened out. Your emotions get them under control so that you don't do crazy things and get yourself into more trouble. Whatever temptations, whatever pain or hurt or struggles you're going, you've got to go to the altar. If you and I have allowed our altar to be broken down, then we need to do some repair work. If you and I have allowed our altar to be silenced, which means that we no longer wake up early in the morning to seek our God, we have been silenced. We no longer take time to read the Holy Word of God. We have been silenced. We no longer take time to praise and worship and serve and sacrifice to our God. We're too busy. We're, we're, we're doing other things. It's not important to us anymore. We have been silenced and our altar is falling apart. It is neglected. This means that our altars are in disarray and false gods have replaced the altar of our heart. Doing our own thing instead of God's thing doesn't work. Believe me, many people have tried. Many people have tried to do their own thing instead of God's thing. It does not work work. Even if it seems like it's working in the beginning, in the end, it does not work. We need to humble ourselves. We need to repent. We need to reestablish a prayer life. We need to reestablish a time of fellowship with our God. We need to reestablish a time of praise and worship and service to our God. Those of you that are coming to church, thank God that you've made up your mind. You know what? I'm going to start coming to church. And that, and that can only be done at the altar, in the secret place where you meet with God daily. Remember what Matthew chapter 6, verse 6 says. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I pray with all my heart that each and every one of you, all of you that are listening right now, that you have that secret, intimate place where you and God get together every single day. You have a little powwow. You have a little meeting. You have a little get together every single day. You have your little talk with God and you go there and you can do all your complaining. You can get all upset. You can get all frustrated or you can praise him and worship whatever your mood. It doesn't matter. God can handle it, but you need that special place between you and God. And if you don't got it, you got to get it. Psalm 91 verse one and two. 
He who dwells in the secret place. It's a secret place. You can't find it in the gym. You can't find it in the grocery store. You can't find it in the gas station. You cannot find it in the sauna. No, it's a secret place where you and God meet. Nobody knows about it except you. That's your place with your God. I can't substitute it. Nobody can substitute for it. You and God have to meet there daily. It's a secret place between you and God. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him I will trust. Now, I don't know where you're at today. If you're doing good, if you're, if you're, if you're praying daily, and, and if you're speaking with God daily, and if you're disciplined, and, and, and you're, you're seeking the Lord on a, on a daily path, and you've got that secret place, praise God. You're doing good. Keep up the good work. Stay connected to Jesus. But if you're not, if you have neglected the altar in your life and have allowed other things to take its place, other things to have priority, and you no longer have that secret place where you meet with God daily, coming to church is great. That's a good thing. Watching this online is good. But you got to find a place where Pastor Jerry's not there and the other people at church are not there. Where your sons and daughters are not there, your spouse is not there. No, no, no. It's just you and God meeting together every day. He's a CEO and you work for him. And in order for you to conduct business, you got to meet with your CEO. He's got to tell you what's going down and how to take care of business. And if you don't, your business is going to fall apart. That's just the way it works. Elijah was able to see the fire fall. And you and I, church, if we go to God in the same way, you will experience the intimacy and the power and the fire of God in your life. That's God's promise, not me. That's God's promise. You're going to connect with God. When you seek after him. How many of you want that? Can you say amen, church?